You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. So I've been doing writing about unions for about almost 20 years, going back to the mid-2000s. And I started this adventure, so to speak, when unions were trying to pass the Employee Free Choice Act, or EFCA. Now, some of you may remember, EFCA was a bill that had three primary components, and that was elimination of secret ballot elections through a process called card check. It was binding arbitration where the uh, government appointed panel would determine what a union and an employer's contract would look like and monetary fines. Well, that passed the U.S. House of Representatives and it never got past the Senate. So it kind of died on the vine in about 2009-ish. And then Fast forward about a decade or slightly less, unions started ramping up to try to get this bill, this monstrous bill called the PRO Act, the Poisonous PRO Act, or Protecting the Right to Organize Act, passed in Congress. And it's passed, again, the U.S. House of Representatives twice now, uh, but has so far failed to pass the U.S. Senate. President Biden has said he would sign it into law. And There are so many components to the PRO Act, much more than EFCA back a decade earlier. Um, Things like eliminating right-to-work states, um, eliminating an employer's ability to contest a, a unit determination if a union petitions its employees. There's binding arbitration after 120 days. If the employer and the union can't get a contract, a government panel will enforce or force a contract on them. A whole bunch of different things. Well, one of the things that I missed was this thing about independent contractors. And there's this thing called the ABC test, which passed in California under this thing called AB5, Assembly Bill 5. And it devastated freelancers or gig workers' gigs. And so, again, the PRO Act has not passed. Um, However, states as well as Uh, The Department of Labor are taking up the mantle on behalf of unions, and they're doing things, either passing it in state houses or, uh, in fact, the Department of Labor earlier this week or last week, I should say now, uh, brought forward a, a proposal for new rules to define what an independent contractor is. Well, the individual that awakened in me the knowledge about how big of an issue this is, is a young lady who I met about a decade ago, uh, whose name is Gabriella Hoffman. And she is a full-time freelancer, does a whole bunch of different things from media strategy to writing columns to um, videography and a whole bunch of different things. And when she awakened me to this, I thought, wow, I did not realize this had affected 59 million people. So over the last year, I've tried to get Gabriella on a couple different times and our schedules just didn't match up. Um, But last Friday, I was able to have her come on and we had a great conversation. And so here's Gabriella Hoffman. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Gabriella Hoffman, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. Thanks for having me, Peter. Nice to talk to you. So 
Um, I have credited credited you quite a bit with alerting me to the independent contractor issue in the PRO Act. And I've done a few episodes uh, with Fight for Freelancers and, and others about it. But you are the root of my knowledge, so to speak, about it. The genesis, if you will. I appreciate that. A lot of people have come to me recently, especially, but over the years, in the two, almost three years, I've been trying to focus on this saying that I've awakened it to them. I can't claim credit for the issue. There are a lot more sophisticated, hardworking people who've done the legwork. I've just been able to help amplify the message, all the while penning op-eds and participating in working groups. But I like to think I play a small part. There are far more impactful people than me. But I I appreciate you saying that because I think it's it's important that um, people who have big platforms really do draw attention to this issue. Well, so I live in the labor world um, and I, you know, I was focusing on the PRO Act, but before we go there, tell people who you are and, and what it is that you do. Briefly, absolutely. I will kind of summarize what I do as concisely as possible, but I am a full-time freelancer. I am an independent contractor who is not exploited by any means. I willingly chose to go this route to choose to be self-employed under my own volition, no one forced me to do it. And in the six, almost seven years I've been doing it now, I've found it to be a really fulfilling format for me. As a young person, I started doing it in my mid-20s. I'm now in my early 30s. And I really have found it to be a very fulfilling type of work arrangement. And it wasn't easy. I think people misconstrue freelancing. They say, well, you're working for free or you're instantaneously going to get so much wealth when you do it. And it takes years to really find your footing in it and to have a firm understanding and stability in it. You're going to start initially with a lot of roller coaster income if you are going the traditional route. Some people I've known recently have been very lucky to secure contracts within a few months of launching their freelance business, but they may have had some established ties beforehand. So you could not have to wait three years, the typical year, to see kind of the fruits of your labor materialize. And then other people may do it for many, many years, and maybe they'll withdraw, maybe after some time, and then they finally feel confident in freelancing. But I think you and I connected years ago in politics. Mm-hmm. I graduated from UC San Diego, and I was kind of a rabble rouser there. Uh, I'm a conservative. I still am a conservative, even as an adult. And we were talking um, before going on the air that I actually think even college made me more conservative. But when we're talking about freelancing, I don't really need to harp on my conservatism so much. Like I say, well, I come about support for freelancing from a center-right perspective because I like free enterprise. I don't like the government creating additional roadblocks and obstacles for people to want to be entrepreneurs in this respect. And I think even people on the left, and there are actually a lot of people on the left involved in the fight for freelancers movement, in the greater grassroots movement, trying to protect our livelihoods to freelance, and they feel very slighted by representatives of the party that they're registered in, the Democratic Party, really ignoring them and, and turning a blind eye to their concerns and, and their worries about what this rulemaking or gestures like AB5 or the PRO Act will do. And so I've lived the freelance life for six years, like I said, going on seven years. I've seen it really help me. I've been able to succeed financially, be more independent. I feel more accomplished compared to working a constricting nine-to-five job from before. And I loved working for a traditional office 
and there was a time and place for it. I think you should, before you become self-employed, I think you do need to spend some time in a traditional job. And I did working for the Leadership Institute, which is a nonprofit conservative organization that trains and equips conservatives or those who are kind of independent-minded to run organizations, to run for office, work in media, and many other areas. Even entrepreneurship, there were even, I think, trainings to do that as well. And for me, I was like, okay, did my time here, loved working here, Wasn't there weren't any opportunities to grow. I tried to take some job afterwards, and one job that I took turned out to be really horrible, parted ways from them immediately after taking the job, and then I really dipped my feet into freelancing then. And it was 2016, that was an interesting year, I think, for everyone. Um, and I think it was a good year for me to really kind of explore my freelancing chops. I did some work, I had to go back and do pro bono work, which is what I did in college. I worked on radio, AM radio. I helped um, a local host kind of really take off uh, with some of the guests we brought on, segments we did. And I loved working on radio then and also writing for my conservative paper at UCSD. But I had to go back and do pro bono work again because people were like, well, you're so young. I don't know if we can trust you in hiring you for big projects. So I had to start from the bottom again, prove myself, but I was able to help even in working like one major free project, uh, pro bono project, I was able to garner a lot of attention for a big political event here in Virginia um, with the then vice presidential candidate who eventually became uh, vice president, Mike Pence. And so that was a great event. And then that kind of brought back kind of confidence in me that I could do this. And then slowly but surely I started getting projects. Some of them were unstable, some stable. And then, like, once I hit my third year, they typically say for women or any traditional freelancer, it usually takes about three years to establish yourself. And once you hit that three-year mark and you get consistent clientele work, you should keep on with it and good things will happen. And, and that is very true, even in my own personal experience, anecdotally speaking. And so I tell people kind of in my own journey, um, whether they're conservative like me or not conservative like me, that this is kind of the future of work. And I try to follow economic trends. I've seen what happened under the COVID pandemic, how kind of this workforce of ours and, and our economy was reshaped. A lot of people think it's negative that the traditional office space was kind of upended. People now like flexible options. They like working from home. And I think certain jobs do warrant being in an office. That's not to say that um, I think people should stay home and be lazy and zoom in. Um, if your profession requires you to be in person, of course, work in an office, that's perfectly fine. But I think for most people who have unique skills or, or skills that don't necessarily require you going to an office, you can be a white collar worker, blue collar worker, what have you. Um, I think freelancing has been kind of a refuge for people who were displaced from their jobs. Maybe they didn't want to go along certain policies in the corporate space or in their in their um, organization. And they decided with COVID that I want to do this. Maybe I want to have better family life balance or work balance rather. And maybe I can make more money. I don't have to be forced into a union. I don't have to go against my will and, and go against my beliefs. And so I think people have found refuges in the freelance economy, which was already growing even pre-pandemic. A lot of people were starting to pick up freelance options, whether part-time or full-time. And so um, using my own story, kind of to wrap up <laughs> my background a little bit, um, using my own story of succeeding in freelancing, I want to use it to inspire other young people and even those who are younger than me. And even those who are older, too, because I think regardless of how old you are, you can succeed in freelancing if you're capable and, and willing to, to partake in it. I think freelancing is probably one of the last vestiges of entrepreneurship that is unbridled and kind of disattached from 
being tied to a corporate structure where you have to go against your values per se, or maybe it's one way where you can really break through and not be dependent on anyone. And that doesn't mean you don't pay taxes or pay your so-called fair share to the government. You were taxed actually quite a bit, I think too much in many regards. And so um, there's a lot of independence in this workforce. A lot of different professions span it, age groups, geographic regions, things that sort. And the fact that the government and a lot of union special interests want to see it controlled and and decimated is very telling to me. So I think it's important, regardless of industry, um, and even me working in politics too, to really stick my neck out on something like this. So I'm now firmly dedicated to this cause, um, even though I do a lot in the outdoor industry and conservative politics, things of that sort. And so that's kind of a a long overview of what well, propelled so, me to be a freelancer. So you're, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your your freelancing consists of, and you kind of touched on it, a whole broad ar- array of things. I see your columns in, say, Town Hall. Um, I see that you're traveling to the wilderness and, and doing fishing and hunting and stuff like that. So you, you write for a bunch of different um, publications, if you will, right? Yeah, but writing is not my primary way of making a livelihood. It's largely a supplement, although one of my fellowships just got enhanced, so I guess I am doing more writing now as part of my portfolio. But for the most part, I usually am able to survive financially because of consulting that I do with Mm. nonprofits or other organizations, and they have me do traditional media, so PR, content creation, things of that sort. And writing really hasn't been a way for me to sustain a livelihood. It's, it's really hard. You could be a struggling writer in many regards unless you're working for an outlet full time. But yes, it does encompass writing somewhat, a lot more writing coming up very soon. And then also um, overlapping it with a lot of media work. So I, media strategist kind of fits the whole umbrella of public relations, freelance journalism, podcasting, content creation. I also do basic video and photography as well. I've learned how to handle a camera. I love my Sony Alpha. It's a very high-tech professional camera. And that's also a fun hobby to do to, to take pictures of wildlife in addition to hunting and telling stories and, and fishing as well. And so, yeah, it covers a wide swath of things. I've had to learn how to build a skill set. And I think most freelancers have multiple niches. Maybe I'm unusual and, and I'm the one, one of the few who has multiple niches because I'm, I'm so fascinated by different areas of politics, fishing, the outdoors. Um, and I've, I've even helped people who are upstart who don't work in any industry that I really have an interest in, but they're conservative and they're like, I trust someone like you to help me because we have similar views. Could you help me launch my business? Can you help me get like basic PR out there on, you know, on the introductory level? So I've worked with people who are like-minded, even in industries I'm not a part of, or I'm not familiar with, just to make sure they have a good handle on media and really kind of launch successfully or an existing brand. I help them improve upon what they may have been doing, or maybe they need a brand refresh, things of that sort. So yeah, media strategist encompasses a lot of stuff spanning lots of different industries. Okay. So I knew, I knew that you did a lot of stuff. I wasn't quite sure on where you were in a living and all that sort of stuff, but I think, um, and part of the reason I, I brought that up is that you, through your ability to be an independent contractor are very flexible or the work is flexible. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Um, so let's go back just like a year or two ago and you did a, well, I think you did a number of pieces for town hall on the pro act. Yes. And I, again, I was very familiar with the pro act. I did not realize the ramifications of the ABC test that's in the pro act until 
you you politely slap my hand when I said, <laughs> you know, hey, there's a lot of other union stuff in there, and and you're like, no, this affects like 59 million people, and all of it is bad, absolutely, and like you very well know, in addition to the, I mean, some people are just focused on dismantling the ABC test feature. I think all of it is bad. Right. For, if we're speaking candidly here, I think the provision to undo right to work, which would which kind of enables the freelance economy. That law protects independent workers from being coerced into unions. So the dismantling of right to work, uh, the privacy violations that would come with unions having access to your private information once everyone were to be unionized under their specifications and the other like other union related provisions to off the top of my head, it's kind of slipping from me. But some people, some freelancers just focus on the ABC test which I understand could be like a way to unify with people who may be pro-union, but very much opposed to rewriting independent contracting. I think most people, even those on the left who are just like, no, we'll just focus on the ABC test. They see the whole bill as a toxic poison pill as well. And for me, I had to learn from friends back in California about AB5, which is the vehicle from which now we're seeing this new independent contract rule with the labor department, which we can go into detail more. But I think for listeners who are just learning about the uh, rule that is coming from the Department of Labor, this emanated, of course, from California's AB5, Assembly Bill 5. Like everything else, (laughs) bad legislation emanates from California. California seems to be a model case, or it seems to be kind of a petri dish for bad policies that are taken nationwide. And I say that as someone who is from California and how lamentable it is to see my home state do this, and it's very disappointing. Nonetheless, the ABC test is a very complicated thing because it undoes, you know, standards that have been used to determine a worker status. I think it was in the 1930s, as you very well know, uh, they had the National Labor Relations Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act. And I think I think it's in both of those laws or I think it's maybe in the National Labor Relations Act. One of them has a stipulation that said that you can't coerce workers into unions need to offer right to work provisions, allow workers to choose what is best for them. And I know um, either both or one of those laws uh, allows for that. And so even in that time, it was what FDR in the 1930s, 1940s. So even he, um, even people, and I I think it was also a Democrat Congress. I don't recall the Congress makeup in the thirties and forties off the top of my head. Yeah. It was all, it was Democrats, uh, the Wagner act, which is national labor relations act. Yes. That was 1935. Then the Fair Labor Standards Act was 1938, and that was that was all almost all Democrats. There were some Republicans, but it was definitely passed through and shoved through through a a Democrat-controlled Supreme Court, or or ratified, if you will. Yeah, and they even recognize that the Wagner Act Wagner Act rather has merit, and that um, down the road this could be a problem if you just have default employees or unionized employees. And so they want to, what I'm going to be trying to explain to people too, because I think with independent women's forum and other groups, we're going to try to explain this as simply as possible. Maybe the historical desire of unions to undermine the freelance economy, but it goes to their dismay with the Wagner act because they say that, well, because of corporations and right to work legislation, it's led to the demise of union workforce. That may be partly true, but I don't see it like that. I see it as the market moving away from that really constricted type of framework where you have to pay dues to organizations who don't agree with your personal beliefs, 
they're very diametrically opposed to lots of workers, politically speaking. And now people see unions as advancing the interests of one political party and restricting freedom and really having a monopoly over the workforce. So naturally, I think America and subsequently the economy are have been moving away from that workforce because they just see it's kind of a relic of the past that a lot of its advocates live in the 1930s still. They're in denial of the Wagner Act. They're in denial of right-to-work states. And they don't see that workers of all sh- uh, shades and stripes, uh, even unionized workers, tend to be overwhelmingly happier and more fulfilled, even in right-to-work states. I forget the journal that published it, but it was in Forbes magazine uh, like a year or two ago, and they even found that unionized workers had a better quality of life in right-to-work states, so they don't like to talk about that. And so, yeah, it's. I think the, the unions are very jealous that there are, is a whole slew of workers that's almost three times bigger than them. I think actually three times, just about three times larger, just about. That is more impactful, that is independent, that doesn't want to be coerced into joining unions. So they have said to this administration, well, we need to make it increasingly harder. We need to invent controversies and incidences that are very hard to prove, but we can use marketing and media and have help with journalists. And and I consider myself a journalist we can have the help of pro-unionized journalists or pro-union journalists to say, like, look, there's rampant classification, there's rampant abuses that happen in corporations and Uber and Lyft and they're evil and their systems have to be dismantled. And so it's out of jealousy. They want to use control by the government to really subject independent workers, like I said, who span all political affiliations, lifestyles, geographic locations, skill sets, things of that sort. And now we're seeing that trickle into, we saw it materialize into AB5, which now makes it more strident for workers to say that they're independent contractors. You have to go through hoops. You have to meet these three criteria and these three prongs in California's bill uh, to avoid being deemed an employee. And with the PRO Act, as we've talked about, it not only takes that ABC test model, uh, moving away from whether it's an IRS test standard or the economic realities test, the five-prong test, as well. They want to make it harder federally, too, to be identifying as an independent contractor. Because, again, they have this false presumption that every worker is exploited. Most workers are misclassified as independent contractors when they instead should be employees. We've seen this in administrator uh, AIs. They're like these directives or like kind of policy briefs that administrators use in the Labor Department. So David Weil, who thankfully was not reconfirmed to his old post, put out a a document saying that he believes that all workers should be employees with few exceptions. So they hold this view, again, that every worker has to be an employee because they want to be able to say, okay, you're easier to control. We could easily make you unionized if we're able to be successful in advancing our cause. So it's it's a way to, again, create a pipeline between union special interest groups and the Democratic Party and make it harder for people to be independent of these entities, which are shrinking. And we see that with, what was it, the recent case, the Janus case four years ago, and I think there was a great study by the Commonwealth Foundation that found that 220,000 government union workers have withdrawn their membership dues because the Supreme Court case gives them more latitude to not give away money to causes or organizations they don't support, politically or otherwise. Yeah, Janice only affects public sector workers, yes. um, and that was a 2018 case that essentially made 
the federal government a what what is the equivalent of a right to work state, but across the United States. And so right to work, which means you have the right to work at a unionized organization or for a unionized organization without paying union fees. Mm-hmm. And so as and this is not to get into the nitty gritty, the, um, the PRO Act essentially, so from 1935 to 1947, the labor law under the National Labor Relations Act was extremely pro-union. In 1947, when Congress amended it, that's when right to work case, or, sorry, right to work states came about. And much of the PRO Act is to undo the 1947 yep. amendments. And so I, I wanted to pause for a second because we, you're touching on ABC in California. Um, and this is a point that I've, I've mentioned to a few people when I've had them on. The thing about AB5 in California is when they enacted it, it you know, they passed it in late 2019. It went into effect in 2020. And the ramifications were almost immediate. And actually, it was, it was before it even got enacted when Vox like laid off all of their freelancers yep. out in California. And but in California, which is a state level, the assembly went back and modified it like they exempted a bunch of professions, right? Yes, they were interestingly enough giving exemptions, but the exemptions didn't do enough to save a lot of livelihoods. That's what a right. lot of people in the fight for freelancers and the freelancers against AB5 groups have said that it was a little too late. They should have done that beforehand or they didn't need to experiment with it at all. That's what a lot of people have concluded. But a lot of people who were very self-sufficient, making great livelihoods, people who have all ability levels, people forget that um, a lot of people who are disabled actually prefer to have freelance work relationships because it's easier for them to be able to attend to their medical needs or their health needs versus a traditional place of employment where those accommodations are not often Uh, there in many cases. And so you had people of all abilities, all professions in California, florists, translators, uh, not just journalists, but everyone honed in on the journalist thing because it was initially seen as like a cap on how much you could write for one publication. And then you wouldn't get paid for the rest of the year. So once you wrote 35 articles, you were done. Um, And people were like, that's so egregious. I'm like, okay, but that's not the end of it. There's a lot more to it. And then beyond the journalist component, You saw many people having to say that they have to close shop. Um, Even having an LLC under AB5 didn't protect you from any rewriting or reclassification from an independent contractor to an employee. People suffered. And the fact that these politicians, and one of the biggest champions now works in California, is I think biggest labor, uh, Loretta Gonzalez, she was chiefly responsible for a lot of people's economic demise. And the fact that she was never held accountable for pushing this bill speaks a lot, but California is very influenced and kind of controlled by unions in many respects. It's really hard to break that. Um, And even with the outcry and the responses to AB5, I believe there was Prop 22, which was voted in actually overwhelmingly 56%, 53%, at least 50%. A lot of California voters were like, we saw what happened with AB5. We need to correct it. So they, they put that in and then the court struck Prop 22 down That was the measure that was passed by voters, I believe, in 2020. And now it goes back and forth in court um, with that. And so, yes, it had a lot of deleterious effects. And it can be used as a case study against the PRO Act, which is thankfully stalled in the Senate. It passed in the House, but the the Senate, we're not going to see it pass. And I think depending upon where we go politically after the upcoming elections, we may see maybe both chambers be opposed to the PRO Act. But 
the Biden administration has now seen that, okay, we can't pass it through this. We can't use this means. Let's use executive action. So that we're going to deploy our labor department to propose rulemaking changes and use a lot of the language from the ABC test in California. Let's do this because we don't care what anyone has to say. You pesky independent contractors, you're really just a small minority and they don't listen. Marty Walsh and his acolytes in the Department of Labor have barely given a nod or acknowledge freelancers whatsoever. They, they talk about in this proposed rule that just came out yesterday on Thursday, October 13th, that it seemed like the first acknowledgement that freelancers exist and are important which took a long time for them to admit. But on social media, everything is about unions, 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 like freelancers don't exist. And like I had mentioned, unions only comprise 10.3% of the workforce currently, and it, it shrunk 0.5% since last year. Freelancers that's including are including all the government workers. Yes. Yeah. yeah, private and public sector unions, of course. And so um, they continue to ignore majority of workers and they, because they're guided by the AFL-CIO, SCIU, all these unions are, have the ear of the Biden administration. Biden himself has said, if I get elected to office when he was campaigning, I will push the PRO Act, I will push AB5. So they're all fully vested in advancing this. So they're going to try to use rulemaking to enact it. They will certainly push this rule ahead. They claim we're accepting public comment. They actually got in trouble, if you recall, earlier this summer. They only gave a 19-comment day period to this rewrite of the Trump independent contractor rule, which enshrined and protected independent contractors from rogue attempts to misclassify us or rather reclassify us as employees in a blanket statement way or in a broad brush way rather. And now they, because they goofed up and they were reprimanded by a federal court saying like you actually violated the administrative act a law to not allow 45 day comment or 60 day comment period. And then they're like, okay, we got to scramble. We got to rewrite the rule. And so this is, the second attempt to rewrite the Trump rule, uh, which was actually upheld in court too, as well from my understanding or from my reading into the back and forth. It's kind of hard to follow because you're like, what court did this and that and and different challenges. And so there's a lot of moving pieces here, unfortunately. So even for us who are following this issue closely, it's kind of hard to keep track. But my understanding is it's gone back and forth. The legality of Trump's rule has gone back and forth. But I think most jurists do see it as legitimate and they do recognize the economic realities test or an IRS test. Um, And you look through this new rule. I was reading the unpublished version before it went to the federal registrar and they talk about, uh, we have to question uh, specialized skills. They were challenging the legitimacy of specialized skills that are often found in freelancing. So a florist may not be a specialized skill. And kind of like with AB5, they were saying that your LLC will not protect you from reclassification. Sounds very similar to AB5. And then you go in like 100 some odd pages of the 184 pages deep. And then you see, ah, ABC test. Rephrase it a little differently, but it's there. And they're like, we want to use this as a standard. And then they have like three proposals or three scenarios of how they want the rule to be enacted. But some ABC test will be implemented by regulatory fiat in some form or fashion. But interestingly enough, they admit in the language just after saying we want an ABC test, they say, well, you know, ideally we would love to see this nationally and we'd love to see AB, the AB test codified, but we're going to be blocked and challenged by the Supreme Court unless they decide that uh, the ABC test is more appropriate to use than an economic realities test or kind of the externalities test that they, they go with there. Um, and so they, they know that there are going to be legal challenges ahead, but they still want to proceed with this, even though there's vast opposition to this spanning different states, 
partisan lines, things of that sort. And I think it's to rush it in before the midterm. I think they were trying to motion to their supporters, see, we are supporting the unions, we're supporting workers, please vote for us in November. I think it was largely done to do that before the election because they probably know like after it's implemented within 45 days, it's probably going to be challenged in the court of law um, in, in various different courts. And I, I think some groups, uh, the Association of Builders and Contractors has said they will likely file a lawsuit once it were to be enacted after right. the 45-day comment period. So people are preparing lawsuits. Um, and I I personally will submit co- comments myself opposing the rule. And also groups that I'm working with will also similarly, will kind of do like a joint effort oppose, opposing that too. Um, so I think as much as I hate this is going on, I think actually by this rule making process, it'll be easier to defeat. And I think the Supreme Court has to finally address whether or not um, changes to labor law in terms of worker classification, can you, is a, does the ABC test hold in the court of law? And I hope that they, they, they see that it doesn't because it's very constricting, it limits your ability to, to live out as a freelancer, maybe commerce clause related concerns too. Although the first amendment kind of argument that has been used hasn't worked uh, in various different federal courts, unfortunately. So I don't know what argument we can use in lawsuits to say that, well, these attempts to reclassify us are illegal under these grounds. So it's interesting to see what happens. What's what's fascinating about um, the, the national, whether it's the DOL rule or the PRO Act, um, going back to AB5 in California, when they went back and, and exempted a whole bunch of stuff, when you do it on a national level, mm-hmm. unless they write the actual exemptions into the federal bill, or if the DOL, the DOL may be able to do it from a case-by-case basis a little bit, but when they put this big net out there and capture everybody who's considered an independent contractor, what happens is there's really no exemption. So if you mentioned florists earlier or writers or, you know, unless they're specifically exempted, and then that I would think goes to the equal treatment aspects, you know, under the law, if, you know, the, if you're just doing certain industries and exempting other industries, you know, that's problematic. And, it absolutely and nobody is. really understands that the PRO Act, yeah, they did it in California and then they went back and rewrote and huh. exempted a bunch of things. They're not going to do that if they do it at the federal level. Absolutely not. Given what I've observed in other facets and areas related to public policy, they will enact a big rule change and they don't care about the consequences and who it affects. And they don't give people time to respond. I've seen this in a proposed regulation to reduce fishing vessel speeds. I've seen this with attempts to ban lead tackle and bullets. And so with this issue, I wouldn't put it past this administration, unfortunately, to put this in without any consideration for carve outs or exemptions because they just have a misunderstanding of this burgeoning freelance economy and this workforce. They're, again, beholden to union interests, and they don't listen, even to members of their own party who tell them, you're stepping over the line here. This is going to impact people who vote for you. You don't see this, and you don't have an understanding of this, and and it just makes a lot of people very disillusioned about the political process that even though privately people see and recognize the virtues of freelancing and this this kind of workforce and, and people moving into this willingly and voluntarily. This is not a, a workforce that has just been created out of nowhere and, and people are coerced into it. People have chosen willingly to go into this. 
And unfortunately, when government is too big and, and too emboldened, they don't like independence. They don't like people who are deciding things for themselves. They want people dependent on them. And as a freelancer, you can't really be dependent on the government. Like I said, you're still paying taxes. We pay state, federal, and the self-employment tax. That's enough in taxes, in my opinion. But that's not sufficient enough for them. They want us, in the end, to be unionized, to fork over more dues. And they want to put more burdens on us and force us to say no to different clientele. If if I were to be reclassified, I envisioned that I would have to pick one of my clients over everyone else, and I would be losing out on so much of, of a profit and, and um, monthly retainers. I, I make, I can say that I make very nice, you know, I can I can say that I have a, a good revenue stream now, and I like that. I want to keep it like that. I don't want to have to t- decide between, you know, one company, they're going to be my only source of revenue stream, and I have to forego working with other people because of their interpretation of the permanence of my work. Like, because I have lots of clients I've worked with on a perceived permanent basis, I really should be an employee. I should be have, I should be bestowed benefits. I have my own healthcare plan and dental plan. I don't need (laughs) to work a regular job to do that. Like we're very capable of getting our own healthcare plans and we need to reform healthcare to make it so you can actually have more choices, direct primary care, portable benefits. That's a whole nother conversation. They're not talking about that because that actually makes them powerless if you if people are in control of what type of health care they want and, and have. Um, but they, they assume we need rescuing. They assume that uh, these rules are going to be better for all workers. And they have, like I said, they have a misunderstanding of what the American worker is today. Unfortunately, it's not your typical worker who is unionized, who works in a coal mine or a steel plant or kind of manufacturing jobs. Manufacturing jobs are important. I wish they weren't all unionized because I think there could be improvements and kind of a, a resurgence of them if they were to be more private. That's just my personal opinion. Having well, seen construction, my dad's a construction manager and he rejected union membership. He never was a union member. He never unionized, um, even in California. And so I've just seen that in those trades, you don't need to be unionized to be successful and to produce a quality right. product. Right. Well, you know, it's the, uh, let, let me touch on some of the numbers real quick because you mentioned something before we before I hit the record button. So there are it's about 14 million, 14 plus million union members, both public and private sector throughout the United States. So 10.3 percent um, in the private sector, it's 6.1 percent. So 93.9 percent of the private sector is not unionized. Mm-hmm. But this affects the the independent contractor model or the destruction of it affects mm-hmm. around 59, 60 million people. Yes. Right. And there's a breakdown on that you'd mentioned before we started. There's Yes. There are, according to one estimate I've seen, and some of the numbers vary, I've seen the so Everyone who's a freelancer, there's so many names for it. I know sometimes it's very difficult to be like independent contractor, freelancer. What is gig what worker, all these need? Right. Gig worker. They're all this one and the same essentially because you're working multiple gigs. You're a freelancer if you do this full time or part time. Independent contractors are those who are largely seen as doing self employed work full time basis. And hold on one sec, my uh, charger, my phone's or can't. Uh, sorry, my computer's about to die. Could you hold Uh-oh. on for just sure. a minute <laughs> so we don't lose this? All right. So yes, before we went on the air, I had mentioned some statistics. So uh, independent contractors and freelancers kind of are synonymous and we can break it down further. if People are confused, but there's some distinctions, but they're all under the same umbrella essentially. But 
if you look at the breakdown of freelance workers of the 59 million plus workers, I saw an interesting thing from Statistica, which kind of documents statistics and trends and things of that sort. And it broke down freelancers in three categories. So you had occasional independent contractors, you had part-time contractors, and then you had full-time contractors. And of those 59 million that are full-time contractors, the self-employed, there is about 20 million. I've seen estimates as high as 22 million people who do this full-time and are making a decent salary or a decent um, revenue stream from that. And I think there are 23 million occasional independent contractors, as they call them, or gig workers. And then there's about 22 that are part-time. And maybe the, all those numbers will come out to 59 million. Um, but um, it, it kind of broke it down like that. And it was interesting to see that. And I can correct myself after the fact. Actually, let me pull it up. Sorry. One second. Statistica because I don't want to be inaccurate. Um, so, so maybe edit that out. Sorry. Let me That's see. That's all right. Let me see, because I don't want to provide so I think, information. I think the point is um, you have a minority, if you look at just pure numbers, you have a minority of people who are, um, because they have friends in the White House, friends in Congress, willing to destroy the majority's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's a, a common misperception. Well, if we can get all these freelancers jobs with the companies that they're doing freelance work for, the world will be a better place. Never mind the fact that it takes away independence, it takes away flexibility and all the other stuff. And Absolutely. Yeah, it's the kind of the tyranny of the minority in this case. Right, right. And I, I don't realize, and frankly, and I mentioned this earlier, that what I didn't realize until you brought it up is how many people are doing it. Because I've always saw the, you know, the union side press on the misclassification and, you know, of independent contractors. I'm like, eh, no big deal. There's a ton of them out there. And I didn't really think about all the different professions. Mm-hmm. It spans a lot of different professions and industries. And yes, I think my numbers were correct. So they say there are about 24 million occasional workers, 20 million who are full-time and maybe 20-something who are uh, part-time. But yes, it, it encompasses a huge share of the economy. And, I, and when you, when we're looking at worker makeup, again, it's them being in denial about what the American worker looks like today. It's a very different worker. It doesn't mean to say that manufacturing, traditional work with your hands work is less noble. That's not the case whatsoever. But workers are now white-collar workers, people from highly specialized fields. You could have a computer programmer. You can have a translator, you can have an independent, uh, like a general construction manager. You can have a lot of people that you would otherwise think hold traditional jobs, but they are self-employed. They have an LLC. They're not hiring lots of employees to work under them. Maybe they're just one person businesses, but it does span a lot of professions. And I think the Biden administration's ignorance of this and, and blatant disregard of this is very telling that they have no idea. They have no idea about the pulse of the American workforce, much like in other areas of the economy or in government or perceptions of their performance. And so I think a lot of people have short-sighted views. They have a means to an end. They want to achieve something. Biden wants to give kudos back to the union to help elect him. So this is what he's doing. And he's fully invested in this, supports this, doesn't say or concede that, yes, we have freelancers and we want to protect them. Marty Walsh may be saying a little bit of that, but it's a little too late because for the longest time ever, they're they're saying, well, we're not going to write out independent contractors 
in this new rule. It's actually going to protect them. And we've heard that same language from the AB5 battle. How can we trust them right. if they've already done this in California, And but they're giving us assurances, we promise we won't get you. So usually to me, it's like we should interpret it as the opposite. We should expect them to rewrite us because it, it's just to be expected in politics. That's just how sinister things are these days. So you have to anticipate the opposite of what they say, of what these bureaucrats often say and, and do and interpret it as something nefarious and, and against the interests of most workers. And they don't want to listen. They host listening sessions, they host comment periods, and they still have their predetermined conclusions. I wish that there could be maybe mass opposition and they say, you know, we're going to abandon this because most of the feedback has been negative. We were really short-sighted in chasing yeah, this can't idea. Do that. They can't but they do won't. That. <laughs> they won't, unfortunately. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, the unions are the are the boots on the ground during election season, so they owe it to them to do what do whatever the bidding is. And I think the big targets, um, which started AB five and then the Pro Act, are the the Ubers and the Lyfts and the DoorDashes, mm-hmm. and then you know the trucking in in the ports of California. There's a big protest when the yes. uh, Supreme Court denied the. Certiori with the, and this was just a month or so ago with yep. the uh, hearing of their case. Mm-hmm. I think there's another case going up, but but one of them was denied, and and the port was shut down in Oakland because the the independent truckers out there, yep, you know, don't want to be. Eighty five applied employees. to them, right? Yeah, it, yep. it went into effect for them, and everyone loves to scapegoat Uber and Lyft or general rideshare drivers. But you talk to them. I mean, anyone who's ridden an Uber or a Lyft, and you just curiously question the drivers. I have asked them, you know, without prodding into their prodding into their business, I asked them, "Do you like being an Uber driver?" Just casually, and most of them, maybe with the exception of one person, I've taken dozens of Uber drives. They largely like what they're doing. They're like, "I like the flexibility. Flexibility. I like choosing my work schedule. I like being able to pick and choose who I pick up." And that's even reflected in studies that have gone into examining gig work. The Pew right. Research Center has put out definitive evidence that shows that American perceptions of rideshare drivers and self-perceptions of rideshare drivers overwhelmingly support them being independent contractors versus employees. They prefer being ICs over employees. You talk to them, and it's it's now firmly there as evidence in surveys that are done examining attitudes and self-perceptions. So it, there's there's lots of material we have out there disproving these union arguments, showcasing that most people are very fulfilled as independent contractors or gig workers, whichever whatever they do, you know, part time, full time. But evidence is not enough, and opposition is not enough, unfortunately, to people who have predetermined ways or predetermined views that are very misguided and that have and can reap huge consequences. But that's unfortunately what a lot of policy measures by this administration do. They don't care about feedback or comment periods that are overwhelmingly negative. Like I said, they're just very gung-ho about pushing this forward to assuage their union backers and to show that, hey, you should reelect us or reelect our party for the midterms. But I don't think that's going to be enough because they've started to awaken people. I've seen more people. I've been privately messaged by people saying like, I was totally unaware of this. I've seen you written about this. Like, please tell me, what does this mean? And so I have to send people, like I have to get them roped in and, and get them clued in. Like, okay, he, start with the basics before you go really into the details of this. It's confusing. And so I send them like basic writings and understandings for them to become informed upon. But I think more and more people are catching on and they see that this will impact the economy even more negatively because of inflation, 
of different metrics that point to us already in a recession. And now people have to worry about, I have to lose my job again. Like I have to lose my livelihood again after reestablishing myself during the pandemic. So people, I think, are waking up to it and they see past the cheap gestures to push this in as a rule. I think there'll be a lot of opposition and I hope the courts can rectify this and, and put a stop to this once and for all instead of well, going back and forth. I'll tell you, it, you know, I've been in labor relations for nearly 40 years um, and 30 years on the employer side versus, uh, you know, on when I was a union rep. And it, again, it was not until... You know, you kind of slapped my hand when I said, this is 59 million people. I was totally unaware of it. And that's when I started getting educated about it. So the the man or woman on the street or whatever they identify as, mm-hmm. um, they I, I have these conversations like, what are you talking about? So a lot of it has to do with educating people. And there, it's, I don't, so I, I think the more like people like you or I have these conversations, the more we can wake them up. Um, however, there's, I think it's 45 day commenting period, which mm-hmm. we're probably what, f- uh, 43 44. left. Yeah. 43, 44. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, people need to, whether it's listening to this podcast, reading your articles, stuff like that, it's, you know, they need to put some comments out there. Quickly. Not only that, I also think it would be incumbent upon TV stations. I know Fox news would happily run this story and and this topic, it's just not discussed because people think it's not going to be encroached upon, but a a vehicle like Fox news channel um, or Fox business, they've talked about this a little. I know Larry Kudlow has talked about it. One of my colleagues at independent women's forum, Patrice Anwuka just plugged this in uh, when the rule broke out on Neil Cavuto show on the 4 PM hour. And so people have been able to insert it a little bit, but I would selfishly, I would love a segment out there dedicated to what this rule is, how it affects 36% of the workforce, and what it means to your ability to become an entrepreneur if you have these roadblocks down the road or self-employment, what have you. And so media outlets and what they're doing, unfortunately, what I see fellow journalists do, many of them are just echoing the union talking points, just taking everything as matter of fact, not questioning how is this going to affect independent contractors? Like, is it a good faith effort? And actually, will it have a disproportionately negative effect on the people it claims to protect, much like California's AB5 did? There are some news outlets, and I am encouraged. Again, not only Fox News and Fox Business have been really good, but you've seen Fortune Magazine, you've seen Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, and, and sometimes Bloomberg, Bloomberg Law especially, and a few others who are pretty even-keeled in their reporting coverage. Wall Street Journal has been phenomenal, too, especially the editorial board, in explaining in very simple terms how bad this is, giving a nod, obviously, to California's AB5, and why replicating that nationally would have very bad consequences across the board. But it's the media, and and it's really funny. I think right after AB5 went into effect, um, different media outlets that wanted to unionize workers actually laid them off shortly after adopting uh, collective bargaining into their repertoire, which is interesting. So unions really don't protect you um, in many instances from what I have seen after you decide to collectively bargain or not. And um, so the, the problem is not us who are already dispensing this. It's reaching people who are in the middle or who are totally unaware of this happening. If CNN were to do more of a thorough piece or MSNBC or NBC, ABC, like have a segment as to how this would disproportionately displace people from the workforce through rulemaking, maybe that could have an impact. But until that happens and until the media starts to defy 
the Biden administration, majority of them, start to question the rule, I don't see it really being talked about except for the union perspective, because they really are rooting for unions to be rehabilitated. And despite all their marketing glitz and glamour campaigns, it's not really having an effect. And we're seeing subsequent shrinking of that workforce because they're leaving a bad taste in people's mouths, not only in education, but also in small business. Right. You know, it's ironic, um, and I know you've got to jump in a minute, but it's ironic that uh, Vox has a very long piece about the um, the Labor Department's rule, and it's ironic because Vox was the first public victim of AB5 when it passed because they laid off the 300 or so riders out in California, mm-hmm. even before the law took effect, and I, I just found it ironic they've got a huge write-up on it, so... I haven't figured out if it's pro or con, but anyway. Well, Gabriella, thank you so much. We finally got to do an episode. I know we've we've uh, chatted back and forth online about it, but I'm I'm very pleased to have you on today and going through this. Keep of course, doing, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, and we need more. I can't just be the only person shouting from the rooftops. No. I know there are many and, more and, out there. Yeah, and you know, I we know we need reinforcements. Uh, Kim Cavan's been on uh, Labor Relations Radio two or three times, and I'm going to have her back she's on wonderful. some of the others. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's brilliant on this subject because she knows the nitty-gritty on it, too. Yes. So but The reason it's surprising to me that media outlets are not having her on their shows. She's probably one of the best spokespersons on this subject, and I think she leans more to the left, and I think it'd be really impactful for her to have a bigger stand and a bigger platform that she already has to communicate this. And I think people would resonate a lot with her findings and her examination into all this. I think it, I think it goes to just people are, they're not aware of it and they don't understand it. And she does a really good job of breaking it down, but it's just getting her name in front of them. Yes. No, she'd be great. I would love to see her testify before Congress. I would love to see her on more TV stations. There are many more like her, uh, but she's definitely one of the best we have. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, and thanks for coming on on a Friday morning. It's, sure uh, thing. Heading thanks into for having weekend. me, Peter. All right. Thanks. Take care. You too. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Gabriella Hoffman, media strategist, columnist, and full-time freelancer, talking about the uh, ABC test as well as the DOL's new rules uh, or proposed rules on how they're going to kill the gig economy. She's very up to speed on this stuff. I would recommend following her. I'm going to leave some of the links to some of her articles uh, under the audio portion of this episode, as well as her uh, Twitter feed. In any case, if you want to reach out, give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio, or hit us up on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio.
Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.